Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Oh, Father, every one of us could look back on our life and could point out the fingerprints of God where you have been good to us. And our lives themselves are a living testimony to the faithfulness of God. His unending love, that His mercies really are new every day. The boldness that we can come into Your presence at any time, anywhere, that that all of that is a testament to Your goodness to us. And so we reflect on the cross and what it is that You have done for us, the great love that You have for us. And we know that we know that we know that You're good. And so we declare it. With all the creation, we declare the goodness of God. Not just an ethereal goodness, but a goodness that has been shown personally to us. That we have experienced the goodness of God. And so we respond in the only way we can. We we respond in worship. We say, thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us with a love that we don't really understand. You are good. And so you are our hope and our king. This we thank you for. We lift up the name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen, amen. You can take a seat, take a seat. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to church. Today we're launching a new series that runs all the way up to Christmas. It's called The Promise, and it's based on Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And he will be called Wonder, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The prophet Isaiah points forward to the Messiah and says, that is our King. It's not just a name, it's who he is, and it's such good news for you and me. You know, in New York City at the United Nations building, there's a a wall just outside with an inscription from Isaiah chapter 2. The inscription says, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You go to the UN building and you see that inscription. It's right there. I think that's incredibly symbolic because that is their hope. It's why the United Nations was created in the first place. And I think we would all agree that's a beautiful thing. Imagine what our world would be like without war. Imagine turning on the TV and instead of seeing hate-filled violence or greed, there was unity and peace. Imagine a world where those in positions of power genuinely saw the good of the people instead of personal gain. Imagine that. That one's hard to imagine, let's be honest. A world of peace and and prosperity where the shalom of God, the harmony and wholeness and, and peace and prosperity of God was there for all to enjoy. What a world. We'd all love to be a part of that kind of world. It's a utopia that we really only see in movies because that is not our world. And the truth is, left to our own devices, it never will be. But it is the kingdom. 
That is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The prophet Isaiah says that's what awaits us. That's what life looks like under the rule and reign of King Jesus. That really is good tidings of great joy. Especially when you consider the context that Isaiah is speaking into when he says that verse. You see, the people of God had lost their way. They'd put their trust in the nations around them. If you know the story of the Old Testament, you'll know that was just a recipe for disaster. Ahaz was the king of Judah at that time. And I think it's fair to say that he wasn't walking all that closely with the Lord. Completely ignored Isaiah, refused to trust God, and ultimately led the people of God into one of the darkest chapters in their history. In the end, the very person that Ahad trusted, instead of God, turned on them. He made an alliance with Tiglath-Pileser, the the king of Assyria. And in the end, that guy, that kingdom, turned on them. He invaded the northern part of Israel and laid waste to the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali, which we see referenced in verse 1 of this chapter. He was a terrible king. That brought nothing but pain and suffering to his people. His short-sightedness led them into the darkness. And yet we get to verse 2 and God says this. He says, the people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, that word means in the shadow of death. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. It's a message of hope. I know things are pretty dark out there, but the dawn is coming. And in his light, there is blessing and life. That's verse 3. He will take away the yoke of oppression and replace it with a yoke that is both easy and light. That's verse 4. Every boot and garment, every instrument of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. Because his reign will be one of righteousness and justice and peace for all people. Verse 5, verse 7. But that's the contrast that Isaiah sets up for us. Ahaz led them into the darkness, but the Lord is raising up someone who is light. That's the contrast. And you might be sitting there thinking, but how is that relevant to me? Well, the truth is, We're more like Ahaz than we'd like to admit. And even if I just look at my own life, I would say without a shadow of doubt, when I sit on the throne, it's a disaster. I manage to lead myself into darkness every single time. But when I bend the knee to Jesus, I discover that he's worthy of my trust, my, my submission, my obedience, my very life. That I have come to discover that he is the one true king. That he alone is worthy of the throne of my heart. That's the backdrop to Isaiah chapter 9. Which brings us to verse 6 and the promise. The verse that changed everything for them, for us. And this is what Isaiah says. It's up on the screen for you guys. It's just one verse. And this verse will be for our entire series. It says, for, us, for to us a child is born, 
To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's so much in that, just in the first half of that verse. Because just in the first half, we see the humanity, the divinity, and the sovereignty of Jesus. To us, a child is born. That's his humanity. To us, a son is given. That's his divinity. And the government shall be on his shoulders. That's his sovereignty. Just last week, we talked about seeing Jesus for who he is. Well, that's who Jesus is. He's the one being who is both fully human and fully divine. He lived a life of humility, but that doesn't take away from his sovereignty. He is the king. Whether we acknowledge him or not, he is the king. That's why Isaiah goes on to say of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's verse 7. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. But get this, from that time on and forever. Forever. Now you and I read that and go, wow, that is such good news. But the truth is that's only good news if Jesus is truly good. If he was a callous or or a cruel king, that would be a death sentence. You tell me this guy rules forever? Well, that doesn't sound like good news. That's only good news if he's truly good. And we don't even have to go to that kind of extreme. Just imagine for a second if Jesus was righteous and just and yet devoid of grace and mercy and love. It still wouldn't be good news for you and me because the chasm between what I deserve and what I've been given in Christ is incomprehensible. I don't want what I deserve. And you don't either. I want what Jesus has given me. That chasm right there, here's your first little clue, that is the wonder of Jesus. Isaiah says he reigns both now and forever. That's either the worst of news or the best of news, depending on his character and nature. Which is why we get to the second half of this verse. And Isaiah says this is who he is. This is our king. And he will be called wonder, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That's the kind of king Jesus is. That's why his rule and reign is genuinely good news for you and me. And I know you might be sitting there thinking, but I thought it was wonderful counselor. I mean, that's what my Bible says. You keep separating those out, but why are you doing that? My Bible says wonderful counselor, and you'd be right. A lot of translations, almost every message that I've heard on this passage joins those words together. But in the Hebrew, and this is why, in the Hebrew, wonder is a noun, not an adjective. That word is pele, and it means uh, incomprehensible or extraordinary. It gives us a sense of something miraculous, right? That's the level of, of how extraordinary it is. It's something miraculous, but it's not an adjective. 
It's a now. In chapter 28, Isaiah does say the Lord is wonderful in counsel, but that's a different word. There it is, an adjective. Here it's a noun. Now, chapter 28 is why I think that people read that here, but, but it's just it's a different word. So we're going to look at the wonder of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in awe. It doesn't happen all that often, let's be honest, but when it does, it's a beautiful thing. I was talking to Lainey about this on Tuesday, and she said the northern lights did that for her when she was in Norway, and she got to see the northern lights. It did that for her. Just a sense of awe and wonder that left her speechless. Childbirth is another one of those things, not the actual birthing process, let's be honest, but the reality of life, that's a beautiful thing. It's an awe-inspiring thing. I remember when Sebastian was born, a little traumatic, I've got to be honest with you, because it was an emergency cesarean and just slightly early. But even then, it was one of the greatest moments of my life. He was born 12 weeks preemie, 770 grams. He literally fit in the palm of my hand. And I've got to be honest with you, I don't have big hands. He fit in my hand. He was just tiny. The first time that I, was, I got to hold him, I thought I was going to break him. I really did. But, but it was just this incredibly sacred moment. I remember giving him his first bath, same thing. I just can't describe it to you. And there's a reason that wonder and beauty lead us into worship. They give us a glimpse of the God who stands behind those things. A God who is incomprehensibly wondrous. Jonathan Edwards puts it like this. He says, all the beauty to be found throughout creation is but a reflection of the diffused beams of him who has an infinite fullness of brightness and glory. God is the foundation and fountain of all being and all beauty. Those moments of awe are like a window into the infinite wonder and beauty of God. They're a gift. They really are. A gift from God. And the greatest meaning is found in him when we connect the moment of awe and wonder with the one who stands behind it. That's when they find their greatest meaning. And when you stop and think about it, that means that we're surrounded by the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. That every day all around us, A little windows into the wonder and the beauty of Jesus. It's just so often we don't have the eyes to see. We're too busy, rushing too much, not walking with Jesus closely enough to actually see him and his beauty and his wonder all around us. You know, as I was prepping for this, I kept thinking about a song called Wonder. You might know it. And I thought it might be a bit of a word for us. I wasn't really sure. I wrote it down and I wrote it into my sermon. And then I rocked up to the prayer meeting on, on a Friday where they pray over the preacher every Friday. It's a beautiful thing, by the way. Thank you. And almost immediately they said to me, I, I don't know if you know it or not, but the Lord gave us this song. It's called Wonder. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do know that song. I thought it actually might be a word that the Lord had given to us as a church But now that you say that, I definitely think the Lord has given this as a word for us. 
It's a really simple song. I think it might have even been written spontaneously in, in a worship session. But it goes like this. May we never lose the wonder. Wide-eyed and mystified, may we be just like a child staring at the beauty of our king. May we never lose the wonder. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't. I feel like that might be a word for us this morning. It makes me think about Revelation 2. As Jesus confronts the church in Ephesus and says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. That's challenging. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. It's a real challenge. The warning behind that is Jesus says, if you don't, I will remove the candlestick from your church. It's really challenging. Here's how I thought we'd end. I want to paint a picture for you biblically of the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. It's something that I unashamedly stole from John Piper, so thank you, John. I just want you to sit there and meditate on the words of Scripture. Let it wash over you as you ask Jesus to do what I couldn't possibly hope to do as you ask him to show you why his name is wonder. I could try to describe it for you, but, but, but how? I don't have that kind of capacity. Words will not do it justice. But if you could just encounter Jesus, if he could reveal himself to you, then you would know why his name is wonder. Here's what I want to invite you to do. I just invite you just to, to close your eyes, bow your heads, and just to meditate on these words. Allow them to wash over you. Jesus, our great prayer is that these would not just be words, but that your word would come to life and would truly reveal your character and nature and that we would see why it is you are called wonder. The Holy Spirit, that's something that only you can do. And so we invite you into this moment. And our simple prayer is show us your glory. Here's what the scriptures say about Jesus. As you just meditate on these words. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus cried out, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. For Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He upholds the universe by the power of his word. And in him all things hold together. And yet... Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, 
by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He committed no sin, none, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And so it came to pass that by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. For God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for you and for me. And when that time approached, he said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And God has highly exalted him bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus every name should bow every knee sorry in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father and God put all things in subjugation to him all angels and authorities and powers and he is now the head of the body of the church the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent he has the authority to forgive sins. He speaks and the wind and the sea obey him. He uncleans, commands unclean spirits and they come out. He rebukes fevers and they depart. He causes the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk. And lepers are made clean. He commands the dead and they live. He suffers the little children to come to him, but scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts and brings down the mighty from their thrones. No one spoke like this man. To know him is to know the unsearchable riches of God. He is coming again on the clouds, even as they saw him go, but this time with the holy angels and with power and great glory. He will deliver us from the wrath that is to come. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And in that day, he will dress himself for service and have us recline at a table. And he will come and serve us. But he will still be meek and lowly in heart. And yet his eyes would be like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice like the roar of many waters. And from his mouth will come a sharp two-edged sword, and we will see his face like the sun shining in its full strength. And so we will forever be with the Lord. And we will no longer see through a glass dimly, but face to face, rejoicing in hope, we will give way to the joy of sight. The pleasures of every taste that bound us to Christ in this world will explode into the pleasures of heavenly feasting. And we will know finally, not in part, but perfectly, that in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his hand are pleasures forevermore.
That's nothing but Scripture. So the Word of God says about our King. Straight Scripture. Get a sense of the wonder of Jesus. That's why he is the King of kings. It's why he sits on the throne, but it's also why you can trust him to sit on the throne of your heart. In the light of his reign, there is blessing and life. So the call this morning is to trust him. To see him for who he is. To trust him and then as a result of all of that to bend the knee. Jesus is greater than we could possibly even imagine. The gap between what we deserve and what we've been given is incomprehensible. That is the wonder of Jesus. That he is the gap. And the cross says to us and to the world, this is someone we can trust. Someone who is worthy. And so, Lord, as one people, we respond to the truth of who you are, that you truly are wondrous, glory, and we bend the knee. As Philippians says, we lift up the name of Jesus. We declare that there is no other name like the name of Jesus. Because no one else has done what you have done. Words can't really describe how grateful we are. Words can't really describe how wonderful you are. And yet our very lives are a testament to it. And so we celebrate in the eternal reign of our King. A king who is wonderful. This we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.